This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 178. Uh, yes, we're, we're uh, back. The absence uh, was uh, my fault. I, uh, well, kind of my fault. I fell down and uh, broke my crown, and my uh, brain kind of came tumbling after. Uh, if you... <laughs> If you care to know uh, more about that, it's going to be at the uh, end of the uh, post about the stats that goes up Monday morning. So, and if you don't care, you should just ignore it, you know, and say, hey, football's back. Uh, and, you know, I know it's week five, but for me, it's kind of like week one. And if you want to know why, there's the answer in that post. So I'm here, as always, with uh, Will Shelton. Will, what's going on? I appreciate the uh, the context there. I do think you might be a little fast and loose with the word fault uh, on on that situation, but I, I it is uh, uh, comforting maybe for folks who are listening to this or maybe who have been listening to this for a long time uh, who have suffered through lots of Saturdays a lot less fun than uh, the one this weekend with us for a number of years uh, that um, uh, we did not only come back just because Tennessee did something good. Uh, that's not that's not the only reason uh, we were staying away, but it is a fantastic reason to be talking about. Uh, uh, as I wrote today, man, I will I will say and write as many words as you want about good news, and that was that was a, a good news uh, day for sure yesterday. All right, well, let's start with some of that good news. Uh, Tennessee, the uh, score was sixty-two to twenty-four. Do you remember the last time we scored sixty-two points? They probably said it during the broadcast or something, but it was that. Louisiana Monroe game maybe or what uh no it was it was the last time Josh Heupel was on the other sideline it was uh Dobbs and them in 2016 oh, yeah. um in the game where Mizzou had 700 yards of offense because they ran 110 plays so <laughs> that was that was 60 62 or 63 to 37 uh but it's only in an SEC game it's only the fifth time Tennessee has ever done it and there are like there are a couple of Vanderbilts in there uh, and there's a random Arkansas game when Casey Clawson was a freshman. That was just one of those Tennessee. I mean, everything went absolutely right for us, but then the other two are Missouri. So yeah, it's uh, it, that don't come around every day. No, no. So 62 to 24, that's what a 38 point victory. We were three and a half point underdogs. Um, that's awesome. We had 35 first downs. Six of 10 on third down, a total of 683 yards and 458 on the ground, which is amazing. And then we actually also played clean. We had two penalties for 20 yards, no turnovers. And you know what? We actually won possession, too, which, you know, we don't care about, but it's nice to win even when you're not trying. I didn't know that. I thank you for that. That makes me laugh. I enjoyed that. I did not know we won time of possession. It's great. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, let's see. Hooker had he was 15 to 19, 225 yards, three TDs, no interceptions. Um, leading rusher was Tyon Evans with uh, 156 yards three TDs and uh, two more that were kind of taken off the board. You think it was two? I think it was one for, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, maybe some sympathy to just move, move things along and, you know, 
get it get it going. But uh, the, yeah, the one where he was pushed into the end zone too. Yeah, so probably. Yeah, probably two. Yeah. Um, and then um, so he averaged ten point four. Well, let me do it this way. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go just by yards because like everybody contributed. So Tyon Evans, 156 yards. Hendon Hooker, 80. Uh, I always called him Leneth, but they were calling it something different. Leneth is what the broadcast, the Vol Network called him. So, oh, yeah, I think on TV they called him something different. So, yeah, see, so nobody knows. We're going to call him Whitehead. Sorry, so, Mr. Whitehead. He had 76 yards. Um, Marcus Pierce. Um, who that? I don't know. He got 45 yards. Uh, he's a walk-on, right? That's right. It's, if your walk-ons are scoring touchdowns, that's a good day. And then we got Joe Milton with uh, 39 yards, Jabari Small with 38. I think he went out with a little tweak of an injury or something early. So he finished with 38 pretty early. And then Jalen Wright got uh, 24. That adds up to 458. Um, some light just came on in my room and distracted me. Um <laughs> Much Average. like Missouri's defense. <laughs> there, there we go. The lights came on for the whole team. Uh, average uh, per carry. Let's see. Milton, 19 and a half. I think he had, he only had two runs. Uh, 12.7 for Jabari Small on three carries. Uh, 10.4 for Evans, who was the workhorse. So he got 156 yards and 10.4 per carry with three TDs. Uh, 15, 15 carries. Um, so those were all good. I, the the lowest one, Pierce, four point one per carry. Not, not too bad. Um, the long runs. Diane Evans had that beautiful ninety-two yarder um, where he almost got caught but didn't. Um, as far as receivers. Uh, Velas Jones led the way, seven receptions, 79 yards, and a TD. Cedric Tillman also had a TD. Javante Payment, Payton, <laughs> Payment. Is he getting an LLI deal or something? He's, I don't know about more a more valuable commodity this week. Uh, after he's had a nice, they have a good Hendon and him have a, have a good connection downfield. Yeah, they do. Uh, so Payton had uh, one uh, TD and um. Yeah, that's what happened on offense. And then defense, uh, Aaron Beasley had uh, six solo tackles, eight total tackles led the way in those. Had interception from both Jeremy Banks and Jalen McCullough. And, uh, yeah, so, you know what? This, this was a pretty good game. <laughs> so, Will, for you, where does, it, where does this rate on a, a scale of uh, – one to ten. Let's make it on a scale of uh, 0.5 just because uh, to ten uh, on you know most satisfying or most surprising of your game because it was just kind of both. Yeah. I, I, so the satisfaction component has a lot to do with uh, dissatisfaction over the the last however long. Of course, Tennessee beat Missouri last year. Beat South Carolina last year. Um, and you know, those games, we were happy to be playing football at all. And, uh, South Carolina was an escape last year to open the season. And Missouri was a, was a false positive, uh, 
you felt really good about Tennessee's offense after that game last year, and then not again for the rest of the year. So um, use COVID language terminology <laughs> for the false positive. Yeah, that was not intentional. So it's just the world we live in. Um, and then even like when you think about satisfying and most that's offense for most people, what Tennessee did at the end of 2019 was, was incredible, really, uh, you know, that's one of those footnotes that will get lost because Jeremy Pruitt and all those guys are going to be remembered much more for who they lost to and how they left. But for Tennessee to beat Missouri and Kentucky and, uh, and South Carolina and Vanderbilt um, in, in really – those are games they trailed in every one of those games. And Indiana in the bowl game too. And so that whole winning streak was very surprising, but only because of how the year started. You know, that's why in, in the expected win total machine, uh, I've been going through, and if you read the comments on our site, uh, I've been going through and posting what is the lowest, what is the most pessimistic person putting in every week? Uh, not if you put like 1% for Vanderbilt, if you try to game the system, we take that out. But um, I was putting like, here's, here's the reasonable pessimist baseline. And last week, of course, you'll get a chance, if you listen to this Monday, you'll get a chance today to, to do a new one for this week after the win. But last week before the Missouri game, the lowest input was like 4.65. So even going into the game last week, the most pessimistic person could still round it up to five and seven. When we were running that after Tennessee lost to Georgia state and BYU and got hammered by Florida. I mean, th those numbers were in the twos. So, uh, you know, that like realistically this team might go two and 10, that sort of thing. So that was surprising in a different way because of what preceded it. And it was satisfying because you, you wanted something good to happen. But those were a lot of close games against this same, you know, Missouri second tier kind of group, South Carolina, that Tennessee's going to play this week. Um, and so, uh, you know, then Pruitt before that, you had some, some satisfying upsets, but nothing like this in terms of just you – know, I mean, you joke about like, let's watch the highlights of this game. The, the literally the first, the entire first half is a highlight reel, and most most of the second half. I mean, like, pick the big plays. They're, they're it's all big plays. I wish I was still doing those animated drive charts because that one for the first half would have looked real pretty. Six TDs and a field goal. Well, I mean, just just the bananas, and I put it in my piece that like. Tennessee ran 18 plays for 250-something yards and 28 points before Missouri's defense made them see a third down. That's 18 plays of first and second downs for four touchdowns and 250 yards. And then when it was third down, they threw a 35-yard screen pass for a touchdown. Like, I mean, it just – I've never seen that. Uh, and I don't even know – I tweeted this during the game. I don't even know where to research. Has Tennessee ever scored a touchdown on its first six drives against anybody? <laughs> Maybe yeah. they did it in an FCS game. I I don't even know where you look that up. So I, I don't know. If, I, I've never seen it in the media guide. Never looked for it, but uh, I kind of doubt that's there. That's a that would be a hard one to track. Uh, do Do you listen to the uh, the Vol Network broadcast usually, or the the TV broadcasters? I listen to the TV, but uh, I so living here in Hokie Land, Virginia Tech was off last week, which meant weddings. So I had to do a wedding at three thirty. So all, you know, I was like, man, I'm going to miss the fourth quarter of this game, which turned out to be no big deal at all. 
but driving to the wedding and, and then I, I got to catch the post game driving back from the wedding. So I heard the third quarter basically on the ball network for this game, but no, normally, normally I just listen to the TV. Cause they said something uh, that I've, I've, I don't ever recall anybody saying that it, it, it uh, I found it kind of amusing. You know, we often talk of uh, yards per play as a measure of how good a team is. And uh, Dave Neal, uh, signed off to commercial by saying they're scoring two points per, per play. <laughs> they measured it in points instead of yards. Yeah. So it, I mean, it just like, so in terms of satisfying, incredibly satisfying, super fun to go back and watch it has a chance to be one of those games. If Tennessee can just handle their business against South Carolina, get bowl eligible. Uh, we, we've written about this a bunch that, what got Butch Jones is he'd make these memories, but then the he'd have these moments, but then the season itself wouldn't turn into the kind of success where that memory could last. But yeah. I, man, I mean, that's something I would, this game is one I'd love to go back and watch at the end of the year or next year or whenever, just to think, man, this is rare and very satisfying. I think surprising is the best way to put it because, you know, we did this research before the season started on, Look how often Tennessee has spectacularly underperformed the Vegas expectation in the last four years. The, the four, the top four games that Tennessee has underperformed the Vegas line in the post-former era are all in the last four years. And the worst one was was Kentucky last year, which felt the worst at the at the time. And, and you know, even writing that just two months ago to say, man, wouldn't it be nice to get a, a good surprise? Not, I mean, not only is this a surprise, Tennessee outperformed the Vegas line by 40 points. I mean, I, I don't the, – the old record was 35. That's the Tyler Bray game against Ole Miss in 2010 when he was a freshman. But, like, I, I'm not sure – here, too, I, I don't – I don't didn't go back farther than, you know, post-Fulmer, but it's hard for me to imagine any of those Fulmer teams outperforming Vegas by 40 because those teams were hardly underdogs to anybody. So, you know, you'd have to be a, a – to do that is to be a, a you know, a 15-point favorite and then you win by 55 or something like that. So um, just by that unbiased metric, that was the most surprising performance by Tennessee, at least in, in the 14 years we've been trying to get this right, and uh, maybe even beyond that. So, yeah, I mean, surprise – good, happy, pleasant surprise. That's the biggest takeaway uh, for, for me in this thing. So speaking of surprise, what um, I'm going to ask you, <coughs> excuse me, um, what about the team is actually most surprising at this point? Um, before I do, though, uh, I'm going to I'm going to give you some numbers. And so uh, I, I explain in the in the thing you can read um, um, on the site. Uh, but we didn't get to the magazine this year, but I did get like mm, two thirds of the way through it. And some of the things that I remember um, that were my conclusions were Tennessee is going to score a lot of points. It's just what Hypo does. It's like he's got 42 points average per season, no matter what. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I was, I was second guessing that after the, after the first game and the Florida game, but um, right. You know, I think I don't know what his average is right now, but uh, it's it's probably pretty good. Forty point um, eight. It's tenth in the nation. 
All right. So he's almost there with one bad game on, on the record already, too. Yep. So we'll have a couple more with Georgia and Alabama, but he probably got another 60-pointer in him, you know. Uh, so anyway, the, the, by the way, the other thing was that I thought we were going to be like – um, that the 2021 Tennessee was going to be like Ole Miss 2020 in that they scored a ton of points, but that they had a terrible defense. And in case anybody hasn't heard it, uh, Ole Miss was number one in the SEC in offense last year, even with Alabama tearing it up, you know. Um, and they were dead last in the SEC in defense. So I, I was like, uh, you know, you might want to watch uh, Ole Miss if they just fix a little bit on defense, they could they could really do something. And uh, I still thought that until about uh, I don't know four thirty yesterday. <laughs> right, <laughs> Alabama put that. I think I think the problem there was that uh, they they made the mistake of getting close the year before. Um, Saban doesn't forget those things. So anyway, my point about Tennessee is. Um, I thought we were going to put up a lot of points. Um, I thought we were going to be really bad on defense and you know what? We're not. I mean, these, let me, let me just say the offensive, uh, stat rankings first. We have, um, we're, we're in the top 21 in five of these categories. And these are important categories. First down offense, rushing offense, scoring offense, total offense. Um, interceptions and it's not just that we're I mean it's 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 almost I like I have to check myself to say it but we're good on offense <laughs> right and it's not just that but scoring offense last year 108th and we're 10th now total offense last year 102nd and 21 now and then rushing offense and interceptions, we were in the 80s. The highest was first downs offense, which was 50. Um, so um, we're doing really well on offense. That doesn't surprise me. But what surprises me is that defense, we're actually doing really, really well as, as well. Um, seventh in TFLs, um, 19th in interceptions, uh, 20th in defensive TDs. Those first two, by the way, are improvements of like 60 to 70 points because we were 84th and 80th uh, in the nation uh, before. So we've gone from that to top 20. Um, and it just kind of keeps going on down the line. Now there's, um, we got to figure out the red zone. The red yep. zone is like, you know, I don't know if they keep doing the same thing they have been doing or they you know, should change and, and don't change or, and, or, or the opposite, but yeah, the red zone's not working. We, we need, we need to fix that. Um, but most everything is, um, there, there's several at the top that are really, really good. And then we got a big fat middle where we got some room for improvement, but that's, that's still a dramatic change from uh, last year and an even more dramatic change from what we expected going in given all of the, all the transfer nonsense. So what do you think? I, I mean, again, Tennessee's 
we talk more about SP plus, I'm sure. But Tennessee's defense right now after Missouri is 21st in the country and in, in SP plus. I think one thing we wrote about this a little leading up to the Missouri game is you know, Tennessee's defense last year was pretty good against the run. Um, they just were so incredibly poor at forcing the other quarterback to be uncomfortable that, you know, you think back to the Florida game last year, Tennessee was great against the run against Florida and Trask and Dan Mullen. Those guys were like, cool, we'll throw it literally every play. And it worked because Trask and Kellen Mond and Felipe Franks uh, and Mac Jones. I mean, those guys were stepping back and completing 70 to 80% of their passes against Tennessee's defense. And uh, they weren't just completing that slant middle of the field stuff. They were busting it for big plays too. And that's been a big difference this year is Tennessee's still pretty good uh, against the run. They struggle with, with Emory Jones. They may struggle, you know, more mobile quarterbacks may continue to, to cause them a problem. And they still give up a, a higher completion percentage than I'm comfortable with, but they don't give up big plays anymore in the passing game. Uh, the stat going into Mizzou was that they had given up 38 passes of 10 plus yards, which was 90 something in the country, but they'd only given up one pass play of 40 plus yards. And they're so, so, so good, like in ways that I struggle to even really describe or figure out what, why they're really good at getting three and outs. Like they're super good at that. So there is a bit of this, like, if they can get you off the field right away, they're really good at it. If you can get a first down, then whether, you know, are they – we haven't seen enough from Tim Banks to, to draw conclusions on this, but are they backing up on their heels? And you're right, Joel, they, we haven't stopped anybody in the red zone all year. Every team that's got – every drive against us that's ended in the red zone has ended in, in six points or three points. So um, that's that's got to improve. But they do this bend, don't break – really well. They got two turnovers Saturday and they are super good at, at creating that three and out. And that's hypo just changes the way um, there's a lot of big picture stuff here. We haven't talked about because this is our first podcast of the year. It just changes the way, at least for me, like the way I watch the game because it feels a lot more like basketball. If, if Tennessee gets up when Tennessee was up 14 to three in this game, um, or you know, when Tennessee was behind to Pittsburgh a couple of occasions, there's much more of a sense of like, all right, we're all right, because there's going to be just a lot more chances than what are, are normally out there. But two, you just you value possessions so much more than you know yards or or whatever, keeping the game within two possessions, um, you know, doing things like uh, when it was whatever the fourth down was where we were up already, but we decided to go for it. Uh, that was, that was a matter of kicking a field goal. Didn't extend the, the number of possessions lead. Uh, so like that's, you know, that sort of thing just, uh, I, have you noticed, like, have you noticed that Joel, that it changes? No, I, that was a good point. Uh, uh, I had not really thought much about that, that he was, so you got a chart. Is he making those calculations in his mind? Uh, I, the, the chart still gives me bad feelings uh, from previous administrations, but uh, the chart said, go, don't question me, get the chart up here and it'll answer your questions. Uh, 
but um, and and you can overdo that. You know, Kiffin uh, tomorrow or whenever he answers questions is going to answer a lot of questions about why did you go for it on all those fourth downs when the score was tied or or you know whatever when you could have got you could have got ahead or struck first or whatever. But he was. I'm sure he will talk about a, a chart that I've already seen uh, Bud Elliott and Bill Connolly and some others say like, Hey, actually, you know, I was going to say he needs to read Bud Elliott's uh, column because he'll have all the answers. Yeah, right. Yeah. But um, anyway, I just think there's such a um, the possessions matter so much more than they have before. And Tennessee's defense is alarmingly great at, at forcing three and outs. But they're solid really everywhere else other than creating a, a zero-point situation in the red zone. So, um, yeah, that's a huge – I mean, I'm like you. I, I thought kind of is a best-case scenario version for this year Ole Miss last year because there were plenty of other scenarios, you know, and, and even, watching, even watching the Bowling Green game, there were scenarios of like, uh, okay, is this going to take time for, for kids to learn this? Um, look, uh, you know, are we just bad? Uh, is is was an incredibly valid uh, opinion to hold coming into the year. So, um, you know, I, I I think that these guys are doing a tremendous job, both sides of the ball. Uh, not only not being bad, but I mean, just executing at a high high level. Um, and, and that's the other thing too. I think even, you know, the Florida game and those kinds of things, you can see what they're trying to do as, as opposed to on a podcast last year where you and I, I think it was the Arkansas game where we were just like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. Like what is help, help me understand what we're doing. Uh, I get what we're doing now, even if it doesn't work. Uh, so, but man, it's a, it, it worked, it worked yesterday for sure. Yeah. That's why I, I didn't even feel bad um, early on uh, when we were like missing all those passes uh, because it was like, what I was thinking was, man, this guy, how it's magic, how he gets guys open. Yeah. You know, there were always, there were going to be opportunities once the players caught up, you know, so I feel, feel really good about that. Um, so um, let me talk. Just, just briefly, uh, since I, I mentioned the uh, – oh, wait a minute. Let, let, let me go back to this first. As far as uh, the, the three and out thing, remember the, the thing they do best right now is TFLs. Yep. And when you get one of those, you're getting somebody behind the chains. And, and what's happening this year that was not happening last year is that the defensive line and the DBs are helping each other instead of – you know, taking turns hurting each other, you know? Um, so I, I think that's kind of what's happening is you get them behind the chains, you can unleash the pass rush, and then the defenders can, can turn and, and look at the quarterback and therefore get more interceptions and more pass breakups. And I, I, but I am amazed still at, at how they seem to be so aggressive in coverage and yet still nobody gets behind them you know that it just hasn't happened well and and i think uh this is probably the second time i've said this about willie martinez willie martinez 
when he was Georgia's defensive coordinator, Tennessee ate him alive. Other schools ate him alive. And so he developed this reputation of, you know, well, he's, he's no good or whatever. And it's true for, for lots of folks that like, you might be very best suited not to be a coordinator, but to be a position coach. And this is the second time at Tennessee that he's real good, like real good as the DB's coach. He he's playing now less so uh, Saturday because, because Trayvon flowers didn't play. Right. But they, he is playing upperclassmen back there over what we assume to be faster and more talented freshmen, but he's playing guys that know they know where to be for the most part and all that stuff. But also he has, tra- you know, Theo Jackson, like he has transformed some of these guys, even Danico Slaughter was around the football a lot Saturday. Yep. Danico Slaughter, you know, started that South Carolina game last year and then was never heard from again uh, because he struggled so much in the middle of the field as a freshman. Cause of course he's, he's a freshman. So like, I sell it to say one of the most common conversations I've had about this Tennessee team, not just yesterday or not just the Missouri game, but all year is uh, Chris Penley and I, former uh, Rocky Top Talk writer. And I said this today, like just people that say, man, we, we don't miss too many tackles, you know, like we're there and we make the play. Now, again, like caveat on all this, I'm sure we'll talk about this more. Um, Tennessee is is very few injuries away from playing a lot of freshmen at a lot of spots. So uh, somebody goes down in the secondary, and now you don't have a bunch of guys who played a bunch of football. You've got guys who are trying to learn on the fly. And some of the, you know, Christian Charles was was he did well uh, in in some spots yesterday. They got some other guys back there. I think that they want to be excited about going forward. But Martinez is playing dudes who've been around who know where to be, know how to play, that sort of thing, and then uh, have that sense that they are like – he's coached them up for just, you know, the general kind of word and that sort of thing. So uh, he's – he's uh, I think he's doing a great job, and I think this is the second time he's done a great job uh, at Tennessee. Since this is a family-friendly podcast, uh, I'm going to actually – uh, figure out what my 10 year old is trying to get my attention about here. So uh, pardon me for one second. If you want to keep talking, Will, I'll figure, figure out what's going on. A shout out to Omi back there in the, uh, in the background. Uh, this is, this is the nature of, of the beast. Um, but no, I mean, like we've been doing this a long time. We've been trying to, uh, get Tennessee right, you know, jump to conclusions about Tennessee being right, even if you're an optimist, which chances are if you've read our site for a while, you probably lean that direction. But that hasn't worked for so long that there is, you know, we've installed some safeguards and some mechanisms in ourselves, probably as fans to say, okay, well, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not whatever. And I would agree. Let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but for just one Saturday, like that was super rare. The, the offense and all that stuff at Tennessee to beat a team down like that when their coach is in year two and you're in week five, uh, that's super rare. And I think that's something too, you know, leading up to this game, frustrated about the loss to Pitt. You can't get Joe Milton to do what you, you hoped he could do. You know, Florida pulls away in the fourth quarter. And you look around and, you know, there's Kiffin is, is always out there. And then Sam Pittman, who's done a tremendous job at Arkansas. 
And there's a lot, you know, well, why, you know, why can't we have that? Why can't that be for us? Those guys are in year two. Like we're, first of all, like before we talk about anything else, those dudes are in year two. Arkansas was three and seven last year and Kiffin was four and five and then won his bowl game. So like a little bit of that was just like, just hang on a second. Like let's, let's make sure we're comparing apples to apples as best we can. Um, But then too, like that was just, um, that had to be a crushing day to be a Mizzou fan because you are in year two and you already lost to Boston College. Yeah, and yeah. now, uh, you know, those those guys are it's going to be hard for them to get to bowl eligibility. And, you know, they fired, anytime you can beat a team and they fire somebody the next day, you did something real good. They fire their defensive line coach today. Um, you know, you wonder about the defensive coordinator, if that's going to be something that sticks. And so it, it can just it can change in a hurry. You know, Drinkwitz is somebody that had a lot of momentum. Beat Tennessee. I don't know if beat Tennessee is right, but got a got a quarterback that, in terms of ratings, anyway, Tennessee would have loved to had in this recruiting class over Tennessee. That's not something we're used to saying. Is you know lost a recruiting battle to Missouri. Those guys felt like they had legit momentum, and uh, it don't feel that way today. And so uh, that's it can change in a hurry, you know, either either way. Uh, so, again, big picture, all that stuff still out there. But for one Saturday, that was super rare in a thousand ways and, and very surprising in a, in a just a delightful kind of way. Yeah, yeah. it was nice. Um, <clears throat> just because I mentioned the uh, transfer portal earlier, how much we'll have to do this briefly, but. Uh, how much uh, does it hurt to see Toto on Alabama's team? You know, I actually think um, there is the the one, however many times people have said in the last however many years, you know, look, we don't have anybody that could play for Alabama. I'm like, well, we had one dude and he wasn't even like, he wasn't very good for us last year. Now, I, it, so that may have been coaching or lack thereof. Clearly, if Saban thinks he's good enough to play, that's fine. But like there is a little part of me that's like, look, we did like we're not Vanderbilt. Like we, you know, we we did have some talented guys that are out there. So, you know, I, I don't. Um, I hope that in in three or four months, Tennessee is going to be heavy in the portal again in terms of incoming guys. I think. Um, I I hope there's a story out here to be said that the portal can help you just as much as it can hurt you just as much as it can hurt you. And it can actually potentially accelerate your rebuild because not only are you replacing guys, but you just, you know, guys that just weren't recruited by a coach, don't want to play for a coach are going to check out, you know, in in mid October or whatever, those guys have already left. So you don't have to worry about that. So it's, it's way too early to know if that can actually be a thing. And yeah, it may turn out some like basketball where, some years you hit a home run in the portal and other years you thought you hit a home run in October. And by December, you figured out, Oh crap, <laughs> you know, this guy isn't at the other school for a reason. So, um, you know, I, I am, uh, long as Tennessee's doing good. If we do this podcast next week, we'll talk about this a lot with Lane Kiffin. Long as Tennessee's doing well, I'm all right with, with that other, you know, that other stuff. And, and, Saturday, Tennessee was doing well, so I don't, I don't, I haven't spent a lot of angst on uh, on Toho Toho. Is there but any? That's just me. Has there been any any movement on the uh, twenty five per year cap 
because I mean, if you get too far behind, you can't even build it back up with the 25 per year cap. I think yes, but I am so far from the recruiting expert. I, I think uh, some Austin Price, somebody at VolQuest on one of their podcasts was talking about the opportunity legislation out there to add up to seven uh, from your that don't count against your 25 through the transfer portal if, if those guys go out that you can add up to seven. Now, if 15 go out, you can't add 15, you know, but if, if you lose three, you could add three, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't understand why you wouldn't be able to replace 15. I mean, it it seems like, you know, if your limit total limit is 85, you should be allowed to get to 85. I I don't know what the argument against that is, but I guess it's not for me to decide. I'm the guy with the So nobody's listening to me. Just a caveman, Your Honor. Frozen and yeah, I don't know. All right, so we talked about how awesome uh, yesterday was, um, and it was. So uh, we we've done our twenty four hours of enjoyment in the first twenty minutes of this podcast or whatever. So um, thing is, um, we've been here before. We've we've how many posts have you and I written? trying to use different metaphors for turn the corner. You know, it's not really turning the corner. It's more of a bend, you know, we're rounding the bend. But, you know, honestly, sometimes when you turn the corner, the thing that's on the other side of the corner is the garbage truck, you know, and you just (laughs) get crushed for the rest of the time. So, uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on... uh, how likely are we to uh, run into a dump uh, a dumpster on wheels? Well, I, I do think that's a good question. We, uh, the, the town where I live in Southwest Virginia, when my wife and I came here and it's, you know, it's 10,000 people, minor league baseball team, all that sort of stuff. But it's like a lot of towns where manufacturing jobs had left railroad town, interstate didn't come right next to us. So all that stuff. So we asked this question a lot of, what is our relationship to the corner? Cause like things were happening and downtown revival was going on. And so, you know, there are lots of answers to that question is the reason why I say that I've, uh, you know, my favorite is I think we can see the corner from here. That's my, that's my uh, favorite for that. But I, if you think back to the other times we've tried this and you think back to what is the first time that you really thought okay, this can work. Not this can't, this could work. How about that? This could work. Um, and, and a lot of these guys, at least with Kiffin and Butch, it was recruiting, right? That, that Kiffin, the new Keith Richardson and, and <laughs> Bryce Brown and those guys, you know, that was all before a single game was played here. Bryce Brown, Brown remains our, our best uh, uh, recruit ever still. That's right. That's that's uh, yeah. If if they did the um, uh, did you watch uh, Tennessee's uh, alumni team and that that basketball tournament that lasted one game? Did you see any of that? Uh, that sounds fun, though. Yeah. It, well, they, they got beat by Purdue in the in, in the first game. So they were one and done. And Purdue didn't even have the decency to put Ryan Klein on their team, which really made me mad. But it was yeah, I mean, it was the Bruce Pearl All-Stars. But you learned very quickly that. Oh, yeah. Uh, other than Bobby Mays, who was the GM of this team, and C.J. Watson, who is, 
you know, probably my age or, or older and, and had a long career in the NBA that doesn't need this sort of thing where <laughs> the team that wins gets a million dollars. We'd have a point guard. So they went and got Josh Selby who committed to Bruce Pearl at one point in time, but then didn't and had a bunch of drama and ended up at Kansas. But, you know, he was eligible to play for us uh, in, in this situation. So, uh, you know, I, I think about that with like, if there was a football version of that where they could be like starting a running back for Tennessee, it's Bryce Brown. He's back for more. Uh, so anyway, um, but Kiffin, you, again, Kiffin, we won the East two years before that. So it was a much different kind of conversation, but a lot of that was recruiting first time you really thought it could work. They hammered Georgia in a way that is probably like, I don't even know what that would be. Georgia is so much better now than they were then. Florida and Alabama, much better than that Georgia team. So your rivals are, are less attainable in year one. But like that, so that was that was a real thing. And Kiffin backed that up until he left. With Dooley, I think the you, you could start believing in him because of Tyler Bray, right? At the end of that first season, because you could tell yourself, oh, we figured it out at quarterback. Yeah. We, got the, we got the guy at quarterback. To, you knew going into that year, and I've written a lot about the rhythm of the schedule, and now that's really different for Hypo than a lot of these guys faced. But you knew going into Dooley's first year that Tennessee, we might start two and six and have to beat Memphis, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky to get bowl eligible. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what they did. But they did it with Bray. So – even when they lost that heartbreaker to North Carolina in the Music City Bowl, we felt like, all right, we we got a quarterback figured out. Like, this guy's going to be a first-round draft pick, no hyperbole, you know, that's all going to be there. And, of course, it didn't all work out that way for Tyler Bray, but I think that was – believing in Dooley, to me, the, the first time you felt like you could believe that it could work with him was very much tied into one quarterback. Um right, wrong, or indifferent. And I think that would still be true today. You know, if you had somebody putting up what Bray put up in that that stretch, that would be the same way. So, you know, that was – Tennessee was two and six when that started happening. Butch, a lot of that was recruiting. Then back-to-back, they almost beat Georgia, and then they beat South Carolina. And so much of that was he did what Dooley couldn't do. Dooley never beat a ranked team. Came so close so many times, all that stuff. And then Butch did it in, you know, pretty close to where Hypo is, week six or something like that. And that, to me, on top of all of that great recruiting, you know, Jalen Hurd and uh, Todd Kelly Jr. and all those guys that had already committed to him, that was really a first kind of thing of like, okay, this – we can believe in the future with this guy – and now we can believe in the present. And that that first Butch Jones year was a really fun year outside of the, the Nathan Peterman experiment in the swamp. Um, that was a really fun year relative to what we've been through in the last 14 years. That was a fun year until the very end when they lost to Vanderbilt 14 to 10 and they lost bowl eligibility. And, and again, that's the, that's the Butch Jones narrative of really close to doing something very memorable, but then lost it in the last second. But until then, that, even when we were getting hammered by Auburn, you know, 55 to 23, it was fun. It was exciting. It was hopeful. And I think that optimism was real. And then Pruitt, it was when they beat Auburn, 
which was, uh, this was on my birthday. That was October 13th. Um, and that, that was, that's the third biggest upset for Tennessee since 85, according to Vegas. We were a 14 and a half point underdog and won that game close with defensive touchdown in that game. Right. Um, Kongbo was big in that game. You had a lot of kind of random contributions there, but you beat Auburn and it just kind of made you think, say what? He was the one with the touchdown, wasn't he? Uh, there was, uh, I think he had a turnover. The touchdown was like the ball got loose again after it was fumbled and somebody picked it up in the end zone. Um, but it, yeah, either way, a lot of great defense in that game. And we beat him by six as a ranked win on there. You know, it was a, a huge upset. And then he followed it up with Kentucky, and you're like, okay, well, like, yeah, you know, two ranked wins in year one, like, sure, this is going to work. And then, so this is a great point to say, there was more reason, like, on a fall Saturday, there was more reason to believe in Jeremy Pruitt at a point in year one than any of these guys, maybe not Kiffin, but then Dooley or Butch. And then they lost to Missouri and Vanderbilt by 30-plus at the end of the year. So, like, you know, that was that was very surprising in a, in a bad way. That Mizzou loss is one of those bad surprises. So we've, we've seen this before in terms of believing in something because they got a big upset over a ranked team uh, or they were competitive and then they, they got a big upset and recruiting and that sort of stuff. Um, it just, none of it has happened – as quickly as week five for Hypel, and none of it happened, you know, 62 to 24. So it's a different kind of vibe in terms of um, what does it mean that we got kind of a first validating piece on October 2nd, and it came against Missouri, who, you know, now has three losses or whatever. Like, we, we don't know what that means. So um, I think there were valid reasons to believe in all of these guys before at various points in their first year, even if like with Dooley was just tied into who the quarterback was. Um, and, and all of those things ultimately evaporated. Um, like with Pruitt, it evaporated very quickly. So, you know, that, that could still be something that, that takes place. But um, at least with high – I mean, this is sooner – then we are having this conversation, whatever that is worth. So um, on the likelihood of there being truck, uh, truck around the corner, um, I wonder, um, I don't really see one. I mean, you got Alabama around the corner, you got Georgia around the corner, but you know, they're around the corner. Right. And then you have, Ole Miss, which I don't know, that, that could be – they're going to be favored probably, but I don't know by how much. Um, and then you got you got South Carolina, you got South Alabama and Vanderbilt, and then you got Kentucky. So I don't – and I don't know that there's really any serious disappointment uh, ahead or anything super dangerous. Um. Be, and, and part of that is based on the fact that I, I think we've kind of done what we had, were supposed to do so far. Um, should have beaten Bowling Green by a little more, but that's first game. You know, everybody's getting used to a new system. Um, Pittsburgh, we only lost by 
a touchdown, and those guys are actually really good. Their offense is super good. Yeah. Um, Tennessee Tech, you know, we, we did what we're supposed to do there. Wish that Florida was closer, but, you know, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, those are what they are. Um, they're probably losses, and, uh, and they might not be close. Um, so I think so far, and then Missouri, which we thought was a toss-up game, um, was not a toss-up game. And so I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel pretty optimistic that um, not that we've, you know, like turned the corner into um, something that's going to be safe for sure. I mean, it's still football, you know, you're still, still going to have, you know, it, 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 the, the better team doesn't always win, you know, um, but I, uh, I, I like the, I think the corner's going to look good when we, when we turn it. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Anyway. Yeah. I, the big, the big one is Saturday because if you can beat South Carolina and we were just looking at this before we started recording, you know, Tennessee was Tennessee opened 10 and a half and jumped to 12 in a heartbeat. And we use, we use Carolina as I've used them a lot in the offseason as, this is a good measuring stick. They're starting over to um, – they've been more successful than we have in the last decade. They, they don't have – they haven't recruited as well as we have, especially since Spurrier left. So there's a talent disparity there. But, I mean, you know, this is a matchup where Tennessee was a four-and-a-half-point favorite in this game last year. Tennessee was an underdog at least the two years before that. And now we're a 12-point favorite at least, you know, here on Sunday night. Um, but if you can get this game, then you can take the, the whole bowl eligibility conversation, which is such an important benchmark, a, a year one benchmark. If you win Saturday, you just set that aside for a month. And I know you can't – it's not that we're counting South Alabama and Vanderbilt as gimmies, but be, they're at the end. So there's literally – there's no look ahead. It is impossible to look past them because there's nothing to look at. So if you get this one, then you you can kind of say, all right, clearly the path to a successful on paper or whatever is there. And then depending on what Kentucky does uh, and, and assuming – I mean, if Arkansas really hammered Ole Miss Saturday, maybe they'd fall out of the poll. But Kentucky's got LSU and Georgia and then a bye week and the Mississippi State before we play each other. So I said all that to say, if Tennessee beats South Carolina and gets a four and two, you set all that aside. Then we got four ranked teams in a row, perhaps. Yeah. So there's that then becomes more of the feel that we're used to with Pruitt's first year uh, and, and Butch's first year and probably even Dooley's first year in a sense of like, look, this is all opportunity now. We can get six. That should be there. But now we got a shot to, you know, let's see if we can beat all this. Let's see if we can go up to Lexington and beat those guys. Those guys are so weird. Maybe they're saying the same thing about us. But, I mean, that that their quarterback was atrocious last night, and they won. If you block a field goal and run it back for a touchdown, that's incredibly helpful. And, you know, they, they – um, I'm, I'm super curious to see them against LSU this week, but 
you know, you get a shot in there to to hype on these guys because of where we've been. If we get bowl eligible by any path, that's a good job. And, you know, even if Kentucky loses to LSU and get blown out by Georgia and they fall out of the poll, then we beat them. And at the end of the year, we say, ah, Kentucky wasn't great. Seven and five, if it leads to, a, you know, a bowl game, no reason at this point to believe Tennessee is going to self-impose a bowl ban here in October. So um, you'd have a shot to go eight and five in a bowl game, which is better than Kiffin and Dooley and Butch and Jeremy Pruitt did in their first year. Like that's real stuff that's out there on the table. But more than that, they're, Tennessee's playing so well relative to the conversation right now that like, I just, I want to test the ceiling, not Bama, but like, can we beat Ole Miss? Uh, in SP plus right now with that game being in Knoxville, we would be the favorite if it was played tomorrow in SP plus in Knoxville, which is where the game is. So, you know, like, yeah, like that's not a crazy conversation to have. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mental health component in beating South Carolina and being in a healthy place when you see your, your ex-girlfriend next Saturday night. So like, you know, that's, that's uh, I'd be happy to have that conversation too next week, but yeah, like I want to, let's test the ceiling a little bit and see, but I'll say, and, and this is true all around teams in year one tend to have a stinker in there somewhere. And I don't that, you know, if, if that, so the garbage truck may be on this side of the corner and we just haven't seen it yet. That, that just tends to be something that happens again, maybe the transfer portal accelerated this whole narrative and things stink less in year one, but um, Saturday's big. Saturday's is big, big uh, for, for Tennessee to, to keep this thing going in the right direction and to be able to enter the four weeks after it without angst and anxiety. And just let's go see if we can beat somebody, you know, that's this, this big time uh, in terms of, of doing that. And I'm super curious to see how they handle success because we, we got a lot of practice at that. So, you know, that's what I was thinking while you were talking is, you know, uh, most year one teams put up a stinker somewhere. I mean, even Nick Saban, uh, but one stinker and, you know, in the last 20 years, Kiffin got, you know, when, when Deuce McAllister popped up there for a second, my brain read Dexter McCluster. And I was like, Oh no, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's, uh, uh, you know, that happened to Kiffin, uh, Derek Dooley, uh, after, uh, we all, we beat LSU and then we didn't, we went down to Georgia, a bad Georgia team the next week and got destroyed. Um, uh, you know, Butch Jones, the, the Nathan Peterman situation in the swamp, um, Aside from getting blood, that's, that, that's the hardest schedule any Tennessee team's ever played, so I don't want to hate too much on that team. But, again, what was mostly a fun year. Um, and Pruitt, uh, right after we beat Kentucky, the reddest of red flags. All of a sudden we get destroyed by Missouri and Vanderbilt. So, like, it just tends to be part of the equation. Yeah, you know, especially for a roster, you know, a team one, a year one coach that is in charge of a roster that has – you know, um, at least five years of baggage for the players there um, and 18 years of baggage in the stands. Um, <clears throat> you know, th- th- those vibes, um, 
you know, are, it, it's very easy to get the, oh no, here we go again stuff. Um, but then the other thing is um, that um, you don't really know, as you said, how they're going to handle success because they're not used to success. And that is, that is a, a different skill. Um, because when you start feeling good about yourself, you know, um, how hard do you keep working? Um, do you remember how hard you worked last week uh, to get that uh, dominating win? So, yeah, and we're, you're right. It, it could, could be, you know, this week or some, some team that we're supposed to really beat um, that we just tend to overlook because all of a sudden we're feeling success for the first time. We don't know what to do with it. And this, this roster is a weird combination. I mean, we talk about transfers, but, like, that's this team. Hendon Hooker, uh, Javante Payton, Cade Mays. You know, these these are transfer dudes. Tyon Evans is a junior college player. So, a lot of that, your guy, Vales Jones, you know, he's here last year. He's a transfer. So, uh, most of your dudes that are getting it done on offense are, are transfer guys. Tennessee, of course, again, like – just two years, many lifetimes ago, but it was only two years ago that Tennessee won all these games in a row that had a lot, I think, especially looking back at it, to do with the voices there, Juwan Jennings, Daniel Batuli, Daryl Taylor, Nigel Warrior, upperclassmen dudes that had been around. So that was only two years ago, but when you look around at, like, who made a meaningful impact on that team that's also still around to make a meaningful impact on this team, that's a shortly, you know, that's Alante Taylor, Darnell Wright, uh, you know, Matthew Butler would have been around. I don't remember how much he played. Uh, Jerome Carvin would have been around. Uh, you know, it, that's uh, Jalen McCullough, Trayvon Flowers, but like that's not a that's not a long list. It's not a long list, and there's that's one of the benefits of the of the, what happened to us in the transfer portal this year is there's very little institutional memory that can serve as baggage that might hold us back. Yeah. Yeah. So just it's Saturday's big Saturday is, is, uh, is important. Uh, and, and I'm same as, you know, going into kickoff, I'll say this, uh, going to the kickoff against Missouri, I was like everybody. I thought, man, the, I said this on the radio, the, the best bet is a close game, right? I mean, everybody, every local media person that I saw picked it as one possession. All the advanced stats stuff picked it as one possession. I don't, I don't know what the state of the statsy preview machine is these days, but, you know, that's probably what I had one possession. So yeah, it, was, uh, it, it actually picked Tennessee, but uh, only to win by one. Yeah. So that's it, it was in good company because everybody was that way. But I will say, and again, how much this is Tennessee and how much is this is Missouri? About midway through the first quarter, I just kind of thought watching the, the game and the body language, I thought at the very least we're going to score a bunch of points today. Um, and that's a huge credit to Hypo and these guys because, you know, we had a game against Florida that if Jimmy Callaway makes a catch, we're all up in that game, you know, late in the third quarter. And that's hard. And Heupel is a guy that as a head coach, as a head coach, he's used to winning. He's not used to losing. Uh, and so, uh, but at, at Missouri, he had experience with it, certainly as a coordinator. But 
that was really encouraging just to see and to see the body language. And I think this is a team, whatever it's worth, that likes each other. They pull for each other. It's less pandemic-y in the world, so they can be around each other and all that stuff. But, you know, just just as one of those games where just kind of watching it a few minutes in, you kind of, at least me, like I got a really good feeling about the outcome of that game before the 92-yard touchdown run. Yeah. So, you know, be curious to see. It would be great to see that again Saturday because Saturday is just um, – Saturday is very important for how we're going to talk about the rest of this thing. I uh, I, I like the, the word pan- pandemic-y because it ends in icky. Right. And, uh, it, it just seems very appropriate. So, well done there. Yeah, uh, I tried out post-pandemic for about six weeks in the summertime and that didn't – and it – came back at me. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to wait a while before I try that one again. Yeah. All right. So let's talk just a little bit before we go uh, about South Carolina. It's early. Um, We're recording Sunday night. So we're still in our 24 hour. Enjoy this one when uh, portion, Uh, but just, just a quick look. Um, they, uh, like you said, you, the, the line is what stayed open to 10 and it jumped to 12. Uh, this is Tennessee as a favorite, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the first thing I wanted to know is, you know, Missouri's defense is not good and it was not good going into that game. Um. So I was like, okay, well, what's South Carolina's defense? And uh, their defense is actually pretty good. Uh, Top 25, much better than Missouri's, which was like in the 120s or something. But there is a giant uh, hole in the defense, and that is on, if I can find it again, Rushing defense, they're uh, ranked uh, 72nd nationally, 10th in the SEC, and uh, it's a hundred. They allow 144 yards a game, and uh, you know <laughs> that sounds pretty good from a team coming off a rushing game of 468 yards or whatever it was, right? So. I, you know, I'd say look for us to run maybe this week and uh, have some success. Yeah, I, I mean, Kentucky is probably the best comparison in terms of who they play. But you're right. You know, defensively, you're right. This is a group that, uh, you know, they beat East Carolina because they held them to 17. They almost beat Kentucky and they held them to 16 and then they held Troy to 14. So, you know, and they shut out Eastern Illinois. So when they haven't played Georgia – They've looked good uh, defensively with Kentucky. Now, again, like I just Kentucky's passing game uh, was bad in this game. He was Levis was 15 to 22 for 102 yards. That's four and a half per attempt with an interception. That's bad. It was that bad against Florida for Kentucky. Again, they just found a way to win, but they just hammered Chris Rodriguez against those guys, you know, 26 carries 144 yards, five and a half per carry. And then they had Cavassier Smoke still came in and got five and a half per carry on his nine carries too. So they just, I mean, it was Kentucky. Like it's what you expect Kentucky at this point to do offensively is 
here it comes and we're going to run it and it's going to be ugly and we're going to slow this clock way on down. But it was enough. It was effective even when the even when the passing game was completely ineffective. It was enough to get those guys what they needed in, in that setup. So, um, you know, with any of this, you, you're curious to see what Carolina's defense does against tempo. Um, I think I, I'm curious and a lot of Tennessee fans, I think, are curious to see, like, what is the ceiling on Tyon Evans? Because, like, he looks great in in flashes, but then you're just – it's easy to be like, Mizzou's defense was terrible. So, you know, let's let's see. Let's see if he can be a legit weapon up there. Tennessee is still we're, – we're one injury on the offensive line away from being in, in walk-on or completely inexperienced territory. So – you know, that's that is something that could change. If somebody goes down in the first quarter, that could change the nature of this whole thing. Um, Cooper Mays so status is he out indefinitely or is he uh, good enough to return sometimes? Cooper Mays, yeah. I, I haven't seen anybody be optimistic about that about Saturday, so uh, you know, that's and that may be one of those tough spots where you know, you see him at the end of the Florida game where he's he's man, he's out there trying, but like, do you play him at 60% or do you wait and get him back at, you know, 85% by November 1st or whatever? You know, I don't know. I don't know what the, that's why they pay these guys and not me to make these decisions. But um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see uh, how is Tennessee going to be able to attack this team and I think it's a good one for the defense. We've been praising Tennessee's defense and doing all that. South Carolina's offense is very bad. Um, so can Tennessee's defense continue to hold up their end of the bargain? Um, you know, that's if you're looking for the path to a bad Saturday at Neyland Stadium, it's, it's that of, oh, no, our defense isn't as good as we thought. And South Carolina's defense is as good as we thought. And Tennessee gets banged up up front and they're not able to run and they're inefficient and – you know, South Carolina finds a way to win something, you know, 24 to 23 or something like that. So, um, here's such a downer. No, I'm just, uh, I'm just thinking it through. I'm, I'm protective of what could be out there, uh, for, and again, like what could be out there. I'm using air quotes for everyone listening on this podcast, quote unquote, what could be out there is not the national championship. It's just, I don't have to think about, is this team going to make it a bowl game for a month? And we can see, you know, what, what Tennessee can do against much better competition for a month straight. It'd be a lot of fun. Um, so uh, you gotta, you gotta get through this Saturday kind of to get to the fun part in a sense. Yes. Uh, speaking of Cooper Mays against Florida, I, I kept thinking of Justin Harrell that whole time. Oh, yeah. Where he, was, he had like a torn bicep, but, you know, he was a hero because he wanted to, wanted to play. And he played for like, I don't know, the first series or something. And they were just running right at that bad arm. And, you know, he just he would stick it out there. And it's just like a turnstile, you know. That was uh, – um... Jalen Reeves Maven was in that camp too, where it was like, you know, he, uh, Harold may have been the one where it's like, I'm going to play this game and then I'm going to have surgery where it was like, this is it for me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this one more time and then go, but you know, these, these dudes, uh, 
again, there is value in this team seems to like each other. They seem to be having a lot more fun. Again, anybody I'm sure is having more fun this year than they had last year, just based on being able to be around each other. But um, I, I think there's merit in that and, and value in that. Um, and, and Carolina's offense being so bad, this is a great game to win the toss and take the ball and go get ahead of these guys and, and make them uh, – you can see with Basilak, you know, Connor Basilak is somebody who was legitimately in conversations for who's the second-best quarterback in the SEC East coming into the year behind JT Daniels. And turns out, you know, at least for Tennessee, you're able to send pressure at that guy. He's not that great. Um, and I don't have any confidence in, in whether it's Doty or, or uh, Zeb Noland or whoever South Carolina is going to put out there to, to be able to get them down the field if Tennessee quickly jumps on them 14-3. to three. So, you know, that's, that's one to me, too, where when you look at – hopefully you would be able to look at this thing and say, all right, how many, how many points does it take to beat South Carolina? Well, the most they've scored all season – was last week against Troy, and there was a pick six in that game, I think. Um, so 24 points beats any South Carolina Saturday other than Eastern Illinois. We're not counting that one. 24 points beats any FBS Saturday for South Carolina this year. And after what we've seen, it you know that doesn't seem like a big ask from Tennessee's offense to get 24 points in this game. No, Just, not, against, not, not when you're running for 458 against uh, Missouri and against a uh, uh, rushing defense that uh, ranks uh, 72nd. In. Yeah, get them, get them early. Get out there, stretch your legs. We got Al Wilson being recognized for being in the College Football Hall of Fame. Like, it's noon. Like, just, just get the day off to a nice, a nice start. It would be great. You're right. There was a uh, there was a pick six against Troy. Yeah, this offense is bad. Like it is a bad offense. Yep. So again, if you can if you can get ahead of these guys or Carolina's defense again, they they may be very solid. Um. So if if Tennessee wins this game, you know, twenty eight to thirteen. We don't have to have a lot of pearl clutching about. Oh no, they didn't score sixty-two. Like we we haven't earned that. We we, can't, we haven't earned the right to be greedy yet. Uh, so, um, but their offense is bad, and if they, you know, if they go up and down the field on Tennessee's defense, that would be alarming. So, um, you know, there's there's this is a big game. Like this is a big game to go out there and and. You just kind of it's it's like a two paths diverging in the woods situation. And like neither of the paths leads to a place that's nearly as bad as some of the things that we were thinking could have been when the season started. We talked about that with, with SP plus today, you know, that this team is when the season began, the conversation was, can this team be better than 17, 18, and 20? Just don't be so terrible and so hard to watch. And they've so far they've leapt past that conversation into this team right now is playing better in year one than Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt's teams did in year two. And both of those teams went to the Gator Bowl. So like, you know, there's, there's, I want to keep having that conversation. 
and not the, all right, can it just be progress at the end of the season conversation? So the conversation I want to have is, uh, you know, actually having a game where game that's not at noon um, that, that is in prime time that we can actually win. Uh, I, w- I wonder how long it's been since we've had like a really wide uh, 3.30 CBS uh, game or an e- ESPN 7 o'clock game that we've actually won. The last time we won a 3.30 CBS was probably the Hail Mary, right? Um, 2016? Yeah, because that Georgia now, – now the Georgia Tech game in 17, that was Labor Day. So that was like all eyes were on that because that was, that was Monday night. Yeah. Um, and we, we did win that game. That's, again, I feel like I say this regularly on this podcast, such a fun game that no one will remember ever. Like that Georgia Tech game is a bananas game, and who cares? Uh, but I remember that game just for why are they not on the line of scrimmage? <laughs> I don't know how many times I said that during that game. Well, Mizzou did some of that Saturday where they put one of their defensive line, one of their guys just won a couple yards off the ball. And I was like, Eric Ainge said that on the ball network where he was like, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a defense do. So, uh, <laughs> well, but when you win, like we did against Georgia Tech, it just, just the like the ebb and flow of that game and the sequence, especially in the fourth quarter and the overtimes. And I was at that game. Like that was uh, – my wife was – that was about three weeks before our first son was born, for our first child was born. And I remember texting my wife and being like, if you'd have come to this game, you'd have had the baby in the stands. Like this is stressful <laughs> and and challenging and, and – but fun ultimately because we won it. But that was – that was all eyes on because it was on Labor Day. Um, other than that, you know, the, the two Pruitt big wins were not – those Auburn and Kentucky games, I believe, were both noon games. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, that run at the end of 19, we didn't really beat anybody good enough. You know, the Gator Bowl was was at night. <laughs> so, maybe we could count that on a technicality. But um, I don't know. Like, it's strange when you when – you, you know, we'll find this out tomorrow unless the league puts a hold on it. So maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, we'll already know this. But uh, when you look at the uh, – that slate for uh, next Saturday at this point, Georgia and Kentucky play. So, like, that, sh- that should be the 3.30 CBS game. Yeah. Um, I know Kentucky's not a big TV draw, but that's two undefeated SEC teams. Like, they, that should easily be the 3.30 games. And then it's just like, what storyline do you want? Florida and LSU play. Uh, I think Bama's got Mississippi State. And then there's Kiff, you know, Kiffin comes back to Neyland. Like, what do you want at that seven o'clock storyline? But if they don't, you know, if, if ESPN wants to go with Florida and LSU at seven o'clock, are we going back to noon again? Like, I don't, it's, it's not outside the realm of possibilities to be, I think we would be like the ESPN noon game this time. But it ain't crazy that we could be back at noon. Let me just say, as father of two who lives three and a half hours away, I think it's great. I wish we played at noon every week. <laughs> Let me just say, as a former store owner, you hate noon games. Yeah. You don't get any pregame crowd. Um, there's not the whole day to celebrate and get ready for the game and all that stuff. Um People don't come to the stores afterwards because uh, we were generally losing at the time. Too. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. 
All right. Well, anything else you want to uh, talk about before we uh, hit the bricks? No, it's fun. It's good to be back doing this with you, man. Uh, yeah. And good to be good to be back doing it uh, after uh, such a Saturday as this. Yes, yes. And we will uh, try to do more of these. Uh, now that I uh, got on the horse, um, the horse felt fine. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll we'll develop a little groove here. That's that's what I'm hoping. So, but if not, um, I'll see you. You know, sometime in the future. <laughs> so, Fair enough. Anyway. Uh, this uh, thank you for listening. Um, this has been the game day on Rocket. I almost said the old one. The other one, yeah. Almost said the old one there. Mm. Wow, that's uh, that sticks. Okay, it's because it I was looking at it today because I was I was thinking about putting the uh, um, the old King's X. We are finding who we are uh, as a theme for. Uh, one of the posts today, yeah, maybe before you. Do you even know who King's X is? I don't. Oh, you, you're missing out. Anyway, there's there's a song called uh, "We Are Finding Who We Are," which is kind of a cool song, and uh, it's got some. You can read the lyrics as a Vols fan and go, hmm, "I understand that." It's probably you know, it's <laughs> nothing to do with sports, but uh, anyway, um, I already did that at the old site. But I'm figuring, hey, you know, if nobody remembers it, I can just do it again. So I may do it again. I run into that sometimes because I use that, the Bull Durham. Uh, I want to throw the heater and announce my presence with authority. I love Bull Durham. And so I use that for the Mizzou line. And I was like, heard it to Google at the other side and be like, have I used this as a headline somewhere before, but maybe for basketball, I don't know in football, how many chances we've had to announce our presence with authority in the uh, 15, 16 years I've been doing this. So. Yeah. The, the hazards of 16 years of writing the same stories. Right. <laughs> have lots of sad headlines that yes. the, anything about stages of grief yes. uh, is, uh, is in there a lot. Yeah. But better days are ahead. We are turning the corner. And there is no garbage truck. <laughs> All right. This has been the game day on Rocky Top podcast. I'm not going to tell you what episode because I've forgotten. But thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Won't